Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Question Marks. I know it's been a little while, but when you hear my guest today, you'll know that everything I've done in the podcasting world has been waiting for this moment. It's been building to this because uh, today, joining us on Question Marks, the man, the myth, the legend, Armbar Abbott himself. He is the bestest of all besties, Glenn at GA Russell Nut. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to get saddled with that now, aren't I? The armbar thing. <laughs> hey, it's not a bad name. Passing comment. When you consider all no, the possible no. nicknames that we could have called you, <laughs> it's not so yes, bad. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, so, Glenn, I used to have, when I've done this the two or three other times I've, I've done this show, I had a list of questions that would kind of trace your journey. Um, I threw them all away. In fact, I should have printed them out so yeah. that you could hear the ripping up and tossing of them into the air. Because um, you are, as far as I know, the only former professional wrestler that I actually talk to. Now, so we'll, we'll, we'll go through some of the original journey, but I imagine a lot of this show is going to be kind of about just that fact that you were a pro wrestler. But, um, so let, let's start from the beginning. Uh, where are you from? I'm from London, a place called Highbury, which is in North London. Oh, okay. Born... Now explain this to a dumb American. You know, we say, oh, you know, somebody's from, you know, Boston or somebody's from New York. And usually that's a pretty located place. Now, you said you're from London, but then you named another place that you're from that is in North London. How big is London? Yeah. Huge. Um, there's four areas of London, basically. And they're just north, south, east and west. Um I haven't, I, I haven't got a clue what the actual figures are, but okay. it is absolutely huge. So let me ask you a question. If you're in North London and you want to get to South London, how long is that going to take? Oh, two hours at least. Really? I know that's not a lot for, I know not a lot for you boys, but, but yeah, for us. No, no it is because while I'm not an expert, I'm pretty sure you can get like from Boston to one end to the other or from one end of New York City to the other. Now, maybe there's traffic or depending on the boroughs, but the idea that you can be, you know, it can take you two hours to get from one end of the city. Now, is are we talking city? Is London technically also like a county? How does that work? It, it, well... Um, there's lots of counties around London, but L London is its own entity. It always has been since Roman times. It was built on the Thames and just expanded and expanded and expanded. It's, it's absolutely huge now. Even on the subway, it takes over an hour to get from one, one, one side to the other. All right. And so do you live in London as well now, or do you live somewhere else? No, I live in um, a place called Ipswich, which is in... The, the east of the UK. Okay. I'm, I, yeah, I've heard, I've heard of Ipswich before. I think we have an Ipswich, <laughs> Massachusetts that I've driven through, which I'm sure is not the same place at all. Yeah. Um, you may well have heard of it because um, during the war, there was about four, three or four American Air Force bases scattered around the outside, outskirts. Got it. Of Ipswich. Uh, and just ballpark... 
you know, I don't like asking anyone their age, but about how old are you there, sir? I'm exactly 61. Okay. I'm not ashamed to say it. <laughs> All right. So you're 61. I'm the granddad of the group. <laughs> you're from North London. You are the, the elder statesman, the wise elder. Um, when did professional wrestling enter your life just as from a viewing standpoint, as a watcher? 1964, when I first became conscious of it. Okay, and what was what was happening in the world of wrestling in 1964? Um, well, it was that was the peak time of Saturday afternoon wrestling on the te- on the television, and uh, before the football results or soccer results came on, they'd always have an hour or so of wrestling, and uh, there's people. Well, you've heard me. And I'm sure all the uh, the besties that have uh, been taking part of the draft have heard all the names like Cat Weasel and Jackie Palo, mm-hmm. now Nick is, McManus. Is this yeah. world of sport era? Is that what this is? Was that it was? It was a part of the world of sport TV program at that. Yeah. All right. And so, yeah, who was, was the first? Was who was the first wrestler that really captured your attention? I have to say Jackie Palo. And why? As as much as having seen, um, well, as much as seeing him on the TV, um, he actually lived next door to my grandmother. Okay, so so really, wrestling was wrestling was just waiting for you to find it because you have your fa- you know your favorite wrestler as a kid living next door to your grandmother. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Now, um, again. I was not watching UK wrestling in 1964. You know, we think of wrestlers as major celebrities in some form or fashion in today's society. Uh, was that the case for wrestlers in the 60s? Oh, it definitely was. Yeah, that, that, those guys, they they'd, they'd turn up on television programs and they were totally adored. Absolutely adored. They were bigger. I would actually say that back in the 1960s and into the 1970s, that they were bigger stars than than soccer players. Because they were on on the TV every single week and everybody knew who they were. All right. So, Jackie Palo, tell us for the besties who might not know exactly who Jackie Palo is. The only way we've heard this name is because you've brought him up in drafts before. Uh, <laughs> give us the rundown of Jackie Palo. What kind of wrestler was he? Um, he was called Mr. TV Jackie Palo because he basically uh, he main, he main evented nearly every week at one point. He was a very flamboyant wrestler. Uh, very occasionally played the face, but most of the time... It was up to his, up, up to all sort of naughty tricks. So call him a heel. He didn't know he was a heel. He just knew as a baddie. And all the the old ladies that used to sit in the front rows at the wrestling used to boo him and chuck things at him. And would they try to stab him with hat pins? Um, that has been known. Uh, handbags or what you would call purses with bricks in. I'm knowing one of the lads got hit with one of those. 
<laughs> I wish we could go back to those times. You know, I'm. I wish we could go back to the days where there were, you know, elderly wrestling fans sitting in the front row, like just throwing things at the Miz, just constantly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Give me an example of you called it the naughty tricks, which I love so much. What was a a trademark Jackie Palo uh, naughty trick? No, well, holding onto trunks, um, gouging eyes, um, closed fists. Because back then you couldn't punch people. Mm-hmm. And uh, now were were these yeah. the days of you know? I do know that some, I think a lot of British wrestling was done in rounds, right? Like different rounds of it action. It was, yeah. Yeah, two, it was um, five, five four-minute rounds, two falls, two submissions, or a knockout to decide the winner. <laughs> wow. Okay. I wonder where those rules came from, because that's so different than what, you know, I know American wrestling, a lot of it was boxing. two out of three, from boxing. Oh, yeah. okay. It came from boxing. They they tried to keep it as near to boxing as possible. So it became... I learned about it from Jackie, but that will come to that. But back then, people believed it was real, and they treated it like a real sport. So the nearer they kept it to boxing, the more people believed it. That makes some sense. So you mentioned that Jackie Palo is the neighbor of your grandmother. So at what point do you actually meet the man behind Mr. TV? Um, I first became, so talking to him back in, in, in probably 1966 is when I really said, I, uh, I think I've, I've mentioned it before that 1966 was the breakout year for my wrestling fandom because uh, it, it was not only the year that with wrestling, I, I got involved in you know, watching wrestling on a regular basis, but also I love Batman as well. So it was all blokes fake fighting in Lycra. There is such a connection I find between the the comic book fandom and the wrestling fandom. You know there, that really does seem to be a a lot of similarities there. So that that's Adam West Batman, right? Yes, yeah, it was. Uh, all right, Bert as Robin. <laughs> so. Do you, you know, do you just happen to see him on the street? Do you go over and knock on his door? How do you, you know, become well, familiar with him? He was used to having our football end up in his back garden. Got it. And the first time I looked over, uh, the first time I looked over this, I was old enough to be able to climb up this big wall and look over it where his garden was. And there sitting in the middle of the garden was a wrestling ring. You got my interest straight away. I believe it. <laughs> That's amazing. All right. So, you know, do you strike up a conversation with him? Do you just, you know, are, does he catch you in the backyard trying to steal, you know, get your football back or, you know? What? Yes. Well, he, he came out, he came out and saw, saw us on the wall. And he, he, he actually said, you're careful. You're going to fall off of that if you're not careful. So then he handed us our ball back. And and I and I said to him, "You're Jackie Palo, aren't you?" And he said, "Yes." And I said, "Is that a wrestling ring?" <laughs> Stupid question with the ropes. There. And he said, "Of course it is." He says, "Where I do my training mainly." And, I, and he said, "Do you want to have a go?" 
And we <laughs> I looked at my cousin and we thought, well, why not? <laughs> Getting round the ropes at, at the age of seven. You know, it was like a dream come true. All right. Already, you know, I know I th- somebody asked for the wackiest, most exciting story you have. And I'm sure this isn't it. But already to me, you know, if I had you know, gone and looked at, you know, my grandmother's neighbor and all of a sudden it's Tatanka or somebody like that who's, you know, just kind of hanging out in his wrestling ring, I would have lost my mind. So I'm just imagining seven-year-old Glenn trying to hit the ropes. Yeah. That's, uh, that's <laughs> yeah, couldn't get anywhere near the top rope. <laughs> Bounce off the middle ropes. But uh, it, was, it was fun. We got to throw each other around, me and my cousin. We were always fighting anyway, so mm-hmm. to do it in a proper ring, it was it was wonderful. And so, other than Jackie Palo, you know, I, you've mentioned the name Cat Weasel. I feel like we need to give Cat Weasel at least a couple of minutes of time uh, because you hear the name and you're like, "Huh, Cat Weasel?" Uh, just just give us a quick rundown of who Cat Weasel was. Cat Weasel was a character based on a TV series that I don't know whether it ever got to America, but um, Jeffrey Balladon was Cat Weasel in the TV series, and he was an ancient magician that got put into modern times. And this wrestler that looked a bit like him took on the gimmick. Um, it was very wrestle silly. He was always a face, always fighting the bad guys, and but. Uh, yeah, he was a right character, and as you know, I like I like wrestling characters. Under- uh, understandable, yeah, so everyone should. All right, so you're seven years old. Jackie Paolo mm-hmm. is, you know, somebody you now know. You've run around his wrestling ring. Um, are yeah. there are there wrestling shows that you were able to attend in person? Uh, yes. And where are those? In I'm assuming in London somewhere. Um, yeah, um, about uh, actually, ironically, when before I moved to Ipswich, I was twenty minutes down the road from the assembly halls where they used to hold the TV recordings in Walthamstow, which was East London. But it was about a half hour bus ride from, and my my grandmother used to take me, and sometimes with my cousin, and sometimes not. We used to go on on Wednesday nights when they used to record. For the Saturday afternoon shows. So, mm-hmm. have you ever been watching some of these programs and been like, "Oh, look, there's me sitting in the audience"? No, because we never got the front row because it was all the same old dears that always got the front row. Sure. <laughs> same as now, lime <laughs> green shirt looking... guy and all those people. Same as now. Yeah, that's right. And you're looking at about assembly hall, which would probably take about three or four hundred people. And they'd sell out every week for these shows. They weren't that big, but every week they're absolutely packed. Mm-hmm. So chances of seeing yourself are very right, remote. So as a kid, because you now know a professional wrestler, um, at <clears> what <throat> point do you start thinking this is something I actually want to do? More than, you know, I wanted to be, you know, Bret Hart when I was a kid, but it was just a nice idea. Like you seem to be a little more, a little closer to it. So at what point do you think this is something I want to look into? Um, 
Not for another 20 years, basically. Okay, and so what are you well, doing in between um, 7 was, and 27, then? Well, uh, the idea was uh, a lot of schooling and trying to be a soccer player, really. Okay. It was everybody's ambition at the time, because I was pretty good at it as a kid. So, And it seemed like it would, would hurt a lot less than being thrown around a wrestling ring. That's for sure. Although I don't know, I, I know very it. little about soccer, but I know sometimes they, you know, the selling is the same in both sports. There are people who are acting like, you know, they just got hit with a steel yeah. chair when they just kind of got <laughs> tripped going down the pitch. Uh-huh. So, well, my irony is the fact that I that I wasn't that keen on throwing myself around. I ended up as a goalkeeper, so I ended up throwing myself around anyway. Sure, you're just not throwing <laughs> yourself around with anybody else. That's right. <laughs> and then you also mentioned, I know martial arts is something that you, was that also something you got into as a kid or was that later? That was, that was a, a bit later. That was in my, my sort of mid to late teens. Cause my pa, my, my father, um, started managing pubs. Um, we went, we moved into one, which was in the real East end of London, Back in when we moved in there, the craze had only just gone to jail. That sort of era. So there was a lot of nasty people about. Um, I decided that if there were going to be fights in the pub every week, that I'd do something to help protect myself. So I started with the judo, and uh, at that point, moved on up the belts. And then we moved to, back to North London. And uh, then I started with Aikido as, Aikido as well. Mm-hmm. So those two martial arts under my belt. And how far did you get in both of them? Um, there's a brown belt in judo and a blue belt in Aikido. That's pretty good. I was a yellow belt in, uh, what was it? Jikido, I think, and that was so. That was like the second one, and once I did that, I was like, "Oh, yeah." Now I'm now I know my way around, and I never went back. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, so a lot of that. So, football, martial arts. We're heading into wrestling. You sound like quite the athlete, and quite you know how many how many fights in this pub that your your father was managing? How many fights were you in? If you can talk about oh. that, well, at, at, at least one a week. The, the the worst one, my mother equated it to what like a barroom fight in, in a movie, where there was people standing on the bar and, and jumping on people, and you know, it's the first time I actually physically dropped an elbow on somebody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so off, glad off we're the doing bar. this. You have no idea how glad it was. You're dropping elbows in the bar. You're running around Jackie Palo's wrestling ring. Oh, this this could you know this could be a twelve part show. Um, all right, never seriously hurt though. I'm assuming as a uh, barroom no. brawler. No, no, no. Ironic. Ironically, I had my nose broken, but by that was by a, a young lad of ten playing soccer where 
me being a goalkeeper, I came. He, he, he was running in on goal. I came out, gathered the ball, and he didn't like it and followed through with his foot and smashed me in the face. But that was the broken bones I ever had. <laughs> that is very fortunate when you consider the life that you have led, that that is the one major injury, at least in terms of broken bones and things. Uh, all right. That's right, yeah. So, football, martial arts, uh, any other interesting hobbies of your teenage years you'd like to share? Any, like, professional cave diving or anything like that you got into? No, no, a bit of kayaking. I was in the... I was, in the in in the Sea Scouts in a landlocked borough in London, <laughs> but we used to go down to the coast on, on weekends and summer holiday and that sort of thing. Get a bit of kayaking done and swimming. I love swimming. Sure, I, but, the Sea Scouts is not something that I believe Americans are familiar with. I'm assuming it's kind of we have like the Boy yeah, Scouts, it's, but this is yeah. a, a more aquatic version. It's, Whoop! It's, it, it, Oh, I dropped the mixer. Okay. Yeah, I dropped the mixer. I knew I was going to. <laughs> We're still good. Yeah, it is. It comes from being on a small island, and we all walked around us. We're we're all obsessed with the sea. So yes, there, uh, there was Boy Scouts, but there's also uh, the Sea Scouts as well over here. Got it. Basically the same thing, but uh, with as you say, more water-based activities. <laughs> So all right, so let's get let's get into then the you know so you're a martial artist and you're teenager. So actually, let's let's go back to that. Um, are you having more encounters with professional wrestlers either because you are neighbors with one or your grandmother was neighbors with one, or I know that you knew some of these wrestlers through martial arts. Um, or is that yeah, after uh, that was that was a bit later. Okay. Um. So yeah, when does yeah. so when does when does the pro wrestling come back in as a you know activity that you're about to it, partake in? It didn't. It really didn't start again until um, our like our third pub in. Um, that was in a place called Edmonton, and there's there was a professional wrestler called Zoltan Boschek who had retired. And he had a pub not far from ours. And my father was a friend of his. And he used to put on um, charity nights. And we, we um, me and my my friend at the time, who we both you know, we did the judo and everything, we said, we wouldn't mind a go at that. If you, uh, you know, and he, he said, well, do you want to come and train? And we'll see what we can do. So... We went and trained with him, and he taught us how to bump properly. And being a strapping youth by then, I could run the ropes and do things do things a bit better. Uh, learning to tuck my chin and everything. And we did a few charity shows for him. And we 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 didn't know it at the time, but we were sort of doing the shield gimmick where we'd be in the audience and heckle the, the wrestlers. And basically, they'd say after they'd uh, after they'd uh, dispatch their opponent to go. Well, if you can do better, you get up here and do it. And that's what we used to do. So, if if you're doing the shield, which member of the shield do you think you were most like? Oh, uh, Bill 
build wise it would be Seth Rollins but Barmy wise it would have to be Dean Ambrose <laughs> new new us would build like Roman Reigns sure <laughs> all right so well that's very cool now is that not you know yes that's totally kind of the shield gimmick but also that was part of the you know when when wrestling was more of a circus act at least in America they would have the kind of plants the shooters who would be you know yeah. kind of in the crowd so that way they could you know put on more of a professional show than just having some farm boy get, get in and get the floor wiped you know wipe the floor with him so that's yeah yeah it, well, that wasn't really a thing over here, but obviously somebody had come up with the idea and, and they gave us the job. <laughs> and so are you, you know, is this, because you're, you're at a pub run by a pro wrestler, mm-hmm. but are there, are there any people, yeah. you know, there that you watched on TV when you were a kid that you're now able to interact with? Or are these <laughs> more guys like you who are just coming up? No, there was a, there there was a couple of the old old boys that used to come along. Um, there's one called Pat Roach, who was quite a big. When when we when we first started doing these shows was on, he was quite a big TV celebrity. He was on a very popular show over here as an actor. So he got he he got to he he they used to drag him along and charge for his autograph and things to raise money for the charities. And there's a couple of others as well. My my biggest regret is that uh, I never ever got to meet Les Kelly. I watched him wrestle live, but I never ever got to meet the man. He died um, well before I was getting into talking to the wrestlers on a regular basis, sure. which was a shame. And again, you know, I'm gonna I apologize for keep asking you this, but for those who Les Kelly mm. is only the name. You know, we know from you talking about him. Who tell us about Les Kelly? I, rec- I recommend anybody goes and searches for Les Kelly on uh, on the internet because he he literally is the clown p- prince of wrestling either side of the Atlantic. The guy is so funny. It was unbelievable what he could do. Absolutely unbelievable! Some of the tricks that he did, and it's that it's that thing like you have to be a really good pianist to play the piano, piano badly. Yep, as entertainment, and he was like that with wrestling. People didn't realise how good he was because he used to clown around. Like he would he would do he would do silly things like actually fall through. Um, between the top and the middle rope and then bounce back again. And when you consider that he was fighting blokes like Adrian Street and with their sort of gimmicks and he'd go around touching them up and just a total, just absolutely hilarious. Absolutely. All right. So yes, homework assignment for people look up Les Kellett and find some of his stuff. So when you're, when you're training, you know what's the what's the end game? Mm-hmm. Is this just something fun you're doing? Is this maybe I can make this into some sort of a career? What what's the what's your thought process at it, the time? It was never ever going to be a career. It was always just going to be fun. I was lucky enough to earn some money from it, but 
it got serious when Zoltan told us one day back in 1988, I think it was, because they'd just come back from Japan, that we would be wrestling uh, against the British Bulldogs. So you go from, you know, again, celebrities, but not necessarily, you know, world famous wrestlers. And then you're being told that, oh, your next opponents are going to be uh, Davy Boy Smith and the Dynamite Kid. How'd you take that? Um, Can I swear? You can do it. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was, oh, shit. That's that amazing. Yeah, we both looked at each other and went, "Ah, shit." Because <laughs> this is because this is like you said, if it's 1988, we, this is, I would say, peak British Bulldogs. You know, this is around the time of like Mania was, Three, Mania Four. Like this is huge. They just, they just, they just left the WWF and were doing stuff in Japan, and they came back over to do these shows for Zoltan, especially. And that was just before they went back to the WWF. So, yeah, they were really, it, it was well-peak time for them. And so... Uh, and thank you, God it was. <laughs> do you get to meet them beforehand? Oh, yeah. Yes. Is, yeah. is the plan... Davey, Tom wasn't... Tom wasn't... He, he turned up on the night um, for, for reasons that I think anybody that's a wrestling fan have heard the stories... Sure. About the dynamite kid. Um, but Davey was absolutely brilliant. He came over a week before. He took his training every day. You know, I learned so much from him. It's unbelievable. And we became good mates. You've, you've mentioned that. We'll get to, you know, Wembley Stadium in 1992. Mm. But, um, yeah. That's crazy. That's that is just, you know. Oh, you're going to wrestle the British Bulldogs? Okay, I could. I could all right, yes. You've you've been wrestling in the the pubs. I could understand. Maybe at some point you're going to come across somebody. But the idea that the British Bulldog himself, soon to be, you know, enshrined in the WWE Hall of Fame whenever that happens, um, yeah. is going to you know train with you for a week leading up to this match. That's that's yeah. ridiculous. So, how was the match? uh, Absolutely amazing. The pair of total professionals, they they carried us through it. Absolutely great. Apart from my one botch, which I think I've told you about, and the best is probably know about, is I lost a tooth. Because I was standing a foot too close to a heavy boy drop kick. And, and where he should have, he, he he was supposed to come in gentle on me. He came in hard and knocked me tooth out, which was brilliant at the time because it bled like hell, and everybody really. Sure. <laughs> well, and, and it, it is, uh, it, it is to me. Rub your tongue on it. Rub your tongue. On it. What he said? Yeah, because it'll bleed a bit more and let it run down your mouth. He said it would look really great. <laughs> I was going to say that's a that's a story you can tell for the in pubs for the rest of your life. You know, let me tell you about the time the British bulldog knocked my tooth out. Um, yeah, <laughs> was it? 
you know, I, I'm thinking of, you know, Mick Foley telling the story when he was Cactus Jack Manson and just got the snot beat out of him by the Bulldogs. Was yours, was it a more competitive match? Was it a little more back and forth for you guys? It was. You know, they were very gentle with us. <laughs> it had to be. <laughs> It was uh, it was all to raise money and uh, and the and the buckets were going round on how long we could last with them because they were they were they were they were playing the heels on the night they were the ones that were going you know we'll beat this night in two minutes you won't raise any money <laughs> and the longer it went the longer it went and we ended up doing a twenty five minute match oh my god and it didn't and it didn't feel like it because. Uh, I say they carried us through it absolutely brilliantly. I'm sure. So when you're now, again, I'm I'm just trying to imagine this. At some point, are you trying to, you know, as a wrestler, are you trying to make yourself more of like your, you know, the less Kellett? Are you into the more of the wrestle silly thing? Are you trying to be a more technical guy? Like, it, or does that not even enter your head? You're just trying to get through the matches. What's, what's your thought process? Um, basically because I, because we would, we were both judo trained more than anything else. We were more technical, lots of, lot, lots of arm drags and throws and, uh, Attempted submission holds, which is where the armbar thing came in. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> um, is there there isn't there a dynamite kid judo story at some point? Or, or, or my two yes. early in the timeline? Yeah, that was that was that was actually after that match. Is that we were we were back at Zoltan's pub, and uh, there was my father and a few of the others that were worse for drink and all clowning around. And you know, trying to trying to trying to wrestle one another, and Davey said to me, he, he said, "I'm absolutely useless at judo." He said, "But Tom's not bad." He said, "Glenn, show him how to do you know what a judo match looks like instead of you know, all this rolling around and people ending up in the fireplace." So we managed to get them all sort of back in their seats and. Uh, Yep, I, I we actually had a technical judo match between me and the dynamite kid, and I got him to tap out with an armbar. I please tell me it's an armbar. Lie to me and tell me it's an armbar. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'll tell you it was an armbar. No, what was it actually? Did you choke him out? Like what was <laughs> but, what was the move? Uh, it um, it was actually uh, yeah, it was more of a choke hold than a because it. Uh, that guy's arms, there is no way that I would have hurt him. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I always I always imagined, like, I think it's, it might be actually Shawn Michaels versus Davy Boy. I think Shawn Michaels has him in, like, a short arm scissors, and at one point Davy Boy just stands up and lifts his arm in the air, taking Shawn with him. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Both of them were built like that. There is no way. All, all you're inviting is to be slammed onto the floor. You try and grab one of those guys by the arm. So, how did Dynamite take to being choked out? Um, he didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't. Ha- he wasn't a happy bunny. But <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, I had my guardian angel looking after me in in the guise of Davy Boy Smith. So. <laughs> So you were safe. I was safe, yeah. (laughs) 
So now you mentioned <laughs> that, you know, you were doing this, you made some money, but you were doing it more for fun and then things got serious. After mm-hmm. the Bulldog match, was that the serious part that you were going to wrestle these guys or was- did something more happen? You know, what happens after that? Because I could imagine wrestling the British Bulldogs, choking out the Dynamite Kid and being like, I'm done. I'm never stepping foot what? in a wrestling ring again. I won. <laughs> well, um, that, that was the, that was the idea. But a friend of mine who rang, ran a, oh, I can't even remember the initials of it on back then, but he now is the owner of uh, Eve Pro. Pro Eve Wrestling, which is the all-women um, company over here. Sure. And very successful it is, too. And Dan basically said to me, do you want to actually earn some money from this? He said, I've watched that, I watched that Bulldog. He, he said, i watched that Bulldog match. And he said, you really did well. And he said, I'll give you some matches if you really want them. And I said, well, why not? <laughs> earn some money from it. So I was earning money whichever way around I could because I was only working in the pub back then. So with my DJing and that, I was uh, able to put some money together. Okay. All right. There's nothing I want more than to hear these wrestling stories. But you just brought up the DJing, and I got to stop you. Mm-hmm. Where does the DJ? Because what kind of music were you playing again? Everything. Okay, but um, at one point... It's a, it's- were you a disco DJ, or are we talking more disco I in was. terms of just the place, not necessarily the it start, genre? It's my my DJing career started off in 1976, just after I started work. I was far too young to be in the pub, but I was. And the bloke in there was awful. And I, I said to him, um, he was uh, playing music for exotic dancers, shall we put it that way. And he he wasn't that good a DJ, and I said I could do better than that. Just sort of laughingly, and he basically said, "Right, you get up here and do it then." And um, I did a, I, I did one afternoon for him, and basically he said, "Well, he said I do from eleven in the morning to eight at night." He said, "I need a break at some point. If you want to come in for a couple of hours and give me a break? I'll pay you for doing it." And that's where that started, and then the. 1977 was our Queen's Silver Jubilee, so everybody was partying. Um, my father bought me some disco equipment, and I never looked back from there. Working pubs, and then during the 1980s, doing clubs. Now, DJs here, the real famous ones, have their own... They almost, they're mm-hmm. almost like pro wrestlers. They have their own gimmick. They're either wearing fancy helmets or they've got a name or something like that. Uh, did you have some sort of fancy name and gimmick to go with your DJing, or was it just, I'm Glenn and no. here's some music for you? Basically, that's what it was. Oh, a bit, right. more entertain, bit, more ent- bit more entertaining than that. <laughs> but, yeah... Uh, I was a mic-based DJ as well, but I never let it interfere with them. Some of them would talk and talk and talk over the music and everything, but I wouldn't. I'd rather let people dance and, and play good music than worry about 
getting yourself over. Sure. It's about when you when you when when you when you're when you're entertaining people in that sort of genre, whether you're playing music, whether it be a live band or DJing, you don't want to be getting yourself over. You want people to be enjoying themselves. If they're enjoying themselves, you're getting yourself over anyway. So there's no need to be over. The, the, my big gripe, especially with older DJs, when I was first starting, was they were all about trying to be radio DJs and being famous rather than letting the music do the... Rather than entertaining people, they were entertaining themselves. Sure. So, <clears throat> I, I just have to ask, if you had to pick your favorite song from the disco era to play, what was the song that was going to get the dance floor the most full? Gloria Gaynor, I Will Survive. Good, good choice. Good choice, good choice. I could see you being very popular with the ladies with your, you know, I, I've got some judo skills. I can handle myself in a fight. I can drop an elbow if I need to. Uh, and I'm also a disco DJ. I, you know, there were some questions from <laughs> yeah. the besties that I'm not going to ask because I don't need to know the answer. But I can just imagine uh, you rather enjoyed the late 70s and early 80s. That's all I'm going to say. Yes, yeah, definitely did. Yes. And uh, do you? Yeah, well, I've got, I've got two. I've got three daughters in their forties to prove it as well. <laughs> um, all right, so Glenn, the disco DJ, the judo, the professional wrestler. So, because of your performance in the match with the Bulldogs, you're now getting some more matches. Again, yeah. who you know? Who are you interacting with then? Because this is now. We're talking the late 80s, early 90s? Yes, yeah. Um, so I, what, what I'm getting to Chris here, Adams. Yeah, because that's what I'm, what I'm getting Chris to Adams. here is, please tell me you have at least a dozen uh, Lord Stephen Regal stories for me. That's all I ask, Glenn. That's all I need <laughs> in my life is, is Lord Stephen Regal Unfortunate, stories. I, I, unfortunately, I only met him once. I was, I was on one show where he was headlining and that was just before he went off to America. And it, but that's all right. That's all right. What a gentleman. You, you met him. That's all it I was, need to he, know. He, he was a real gentleman. Good. Uh, he, 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 it wouldn't. It even if if there was a guy sweeping out the locker room, he'd go around and shake his hand. No, he was appreciative of everybody. Everybody there, the, the guys, you know. Back then, I was one of the guys that helped put up the ring, and he'd come round and he'd shake everybody's hand. You know, it was none of the big soup. I'm the, I'm the big star. Mm -hmm. Were you there know, guys? Were there guys like WCW. that? Were there guys like that in in the UK? Now you mentioned there Dynamite there, Kid. That might have been a different different deal for Dynamite, but yeah, yeah uh, Tom had his own issues, which were I think have been quite well documented. Sure, that. Uh, yeah, it was it was very sad with him. Mm. Now and, you mentioned gentleman Chris Adams, who, if memory serves, a martial artist of his own, right? He was, yeah, yeah. He, I first met him when um, the my sensei, uh, uh, judo dojo. He 
was I can't remember what year it was, but he 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 went to the Olympics one back in one of the nineteen seventy Olympics, and then when Chris was training properly to to go to the Olympics, he came to our dojo and worked out there with us and uh, just to get himself into peak condition for the Olympics before and then. After the Olympics, he went into professional wrestling. Sure. And I believe when he trained Steve Austin, if I if I got my history right, or one of the trainers for Steve Austin? I think he was, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think he was. Yeah, I think that was Austin's first big feud was with, uh, was with Chris Adams. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So Chris Adams – so what? So you, you know, you're getting more matches. You're getting a little bit more money. How far? <laughs> how far did it go? Not very. It was a bad time for wrestling in this country. Um, the the audiences were dwindling and dwindling, and uh, there was no money about. Mm-hmm. Most of the most of the guys. Uh, had left the business because they actually couldn't feed their families. There was only a few that, uh, uh, you know, the amount, the amount of times where I just said to Dan, you know, give it to the ones that need it rather than paying me because there's no point. You know, he, he's only taking sort of 150 quid and 30 quid of that's gone on higher in the ring and other bits and pieces. Sure. It's a, uh, so how much of this would you say the the kind of decline in UK wrestling? Is it because of that generation of fans that was, you know, in the crowd in the 60s and 70s? Is it, is it the WWF I, becoming such a juggernaut that UK wrestling can't keep up? That was what I was going to say is that a, it was an aging population of fans back in the back in the 60s and 70s so by the time we sort of got to the late uh, late 80s early 90s there wasn't that that sort of fan base and all the kids were just because by then the wwf were on on tv on the television over here sure and you know they were getting you could go to the, the local video shop and rent out their pay-per-views so it was basically it was a combination of all those things that uh, saw the the demise of British wrestling as we knew it back then for 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 a while for about 10 years sure so when did you have your last match my last match was in 1993 Okay, so you, and, you had uh, a couple of years there. Yes, yeah, yeah. And but so, I'd only, I was only doing like two or three matches. A, I was only doing like two or three matches a year. I wasn't doing anything. To, you know, I wasn't doing going out every Saturday. Got it. As they say, making the towns. Sure. <laughs> um, but that that takes us through August of 1992 summer or. Yeah, 92. SummerSlam 92, Wembley yeah. Stadium. SummerSlam 92. Headlined I got by... a phone call. Yeah, tell us. Yeah, I, I, I got I got a phone call, um, and it was Davey, and he said, 
this was back in just before they announced that it was going to be at Wembley. And he said, I'm coming home for a few weeks in the summer. Do you want to meet up? But I said, yeah, I'd love to, you know, if you're coming home. And he said, I'm going to tell you something now that you don't tell anybody else because we've only just been told and I will get fired by Vince McMahon if I, if it gets out anywhere. And he said, SummerSlam's coming to Wembley and I'm headlining in it. <laughs> my foot, my jaw just dropped to the floor. And he said, and I said, I'm coming. He said, of course you are. He said, I'm not going <laughs> to... He said, I've already got your ticket <laughs> earmarked. <laughs> so you two were you two were quite close then. Mm. Yeah. As, 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 as close as, as two friends could be when one lived over in America sure. and I lived here at, at that sure. time. Probably if it, if, if it was happening now, we'd be even better friends because with Skype and of course all these things, you know, you, you can actually keep in contact with people the other side of the Atlantic. Back then, it, it, it was a very expensive phone call. <laughs> so you get your ticket. Yep. You're off to Wembley Stadium. Yes, I get somebody turns up at my door, knocks on my door, says, "Carl for Mister Abbott." Yes, I'm from the WWF. Is uh, Mr. Smith has asked me to come and pick you up. So I get taken. Uh, I get taken not to the not to the turnstiles at Wembley, but I get taken round the back in through the uh, entrance where all the wrestlers and all the other people go. And first person I walk into is the Undertaker. <laughs> Fair enough. Now you had <laughs> I, you were wrestling in in you know the late eighties early nineties. Did you ever wrestle the Undertaker? I'm assuming not, but I have to ask. No, 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 no. <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to move. <laughs> <laughs> just, just the first, uh, uh, literally, he he just come out of, uh, of full makeup, and he was walking across, and I just looked up and up and up, and didn't say a word. I just stood there like a dummy as he walked past. I have a feeling <laughs> that happens more often than not when a guy that size with that stature and that presence just kind of wanders by. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, luckily, once the uh, once all the dust has settled from the show, and as everybody knows now, they became the IC champion, we... Uh, we went out for dinner and Mark joined us. So I, I actually got to talk to my, my big idol at that time. So, okay, just help. Let's, let's flush out this picture. How many people are sitting at the table? Oh, there's about 10 of us. Okay. Cause I'm, I'm imagining like this quiet corner table at this dimly lit restaurant and it's you and it's <laughs> Davey and it's the undertaker. And I'm like, that's no. really romantic. Like, like it's really nice. What a nice image. <laughs> no. All right, so there's ten of no, you. It, it, yeah, <laughs> there was a. That's still fantastic, uh, though. A, like, no, how many yeah, people a, have that sort of story? That after this major event, because SummerSlam '92 mm. is the first WWF pay per view in England or in the UK, correct? Mm. Been, well, yeah, it's been the only one. 
That's true. Yeah, they have they you know they have some of they I think they call them pay per views, but they're you know they have these big shows. But yeah, the only major pay per view yeah. in in the UK. That's crazy. That's amazing. That's our the first the first time that I saw the Undertaker live was not at Wembley Stadium, but at Wembley Arena back in just not long half after. That must have been 1991. He was going for a feud with Sid at the time. Mm-hmm. And they beat the tar out. This was a smaller arena because it's the Wembley Arena rather than the, the big stadium. And they beat the, the tar out of each other with chairs. And it was a, that was the first time that I, I really... I, I appreciated The Undertaker right through from when he first appeared. Sure. Through the, with the Million Dollar Man. So I have, to, so I have to ask. Sorry, but, mm-hmm. No, go ahead. And, uh, and of course, Bobby, Bobby the Brain, famous comment, he might be big, but he's dumb, <laughs> as he got himself counted out. <laughs> yep. So what do you and The Undertaker talk about at dinner? <sighs> Well, we were just talking about the family and you know, just general chit chat. Nothing. Okay. Well, you've heard you've, you you. I take it you've heard the the shoot interview with him with Stone Cold. Uh, I don't think I finished it, but I heard part of it. That you've heard him talk as in his normal voice. Yes. Out of gimmick. Yeah, that's how we chatted. You know, it yeah. wasn't like. I was, <laughs> he was the undertaker while we were yeah. at dinner. <laughs> I know it's 92, but I was really hoping you were like, look, Mark, the black and gray is nice, but have you ever considered wearing purple gloves? I think you really oh, should. Yeah. I think you should come back with purple gloves. I think that's what's missing from your, <laughs> from your look. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like I don't know how we, we peak more than the fact that you're – a, a guest of honor in a in a car, you know, getting car service for Davy Boy Smith to win the IC title. Uh, but let's just continue this with this. Um, you know, were you close with Davy past that? Were you still close to him up? You know, I don't remember exactly when he passed away, but yeah, yeah, we were, we we were still in contact. Like I say, it was, it was hard, especially with. Uh, the work schedule that they were on. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, it was uh, it was very hard, but I was I yeah I I was uh, one of the first, along with Georgia, his daughter, to start the campaign to get him into the Hall of Fame. So, quite pleased it's happening this year at some point or next year, whenever they decide to have it. I'm hoping touching wood and everything else is now I'm a free agent is that I'm going to get over as I told you to Boston for sure. SummerSlam and it would be absolutely lovely if they induct him at that ceremony because I, I wouldn't normally go to a hall I wouldn't have normally go to a Hall of Fame ceremony but if they're going to induct him there then I will definitely go I think based on this I'm going to send this podcast to Vince McMahon and I'm going to say here's your inductor bring Armbar Abbott out <laughs> To induct his good <laughs> no, buddy Davy. No, no, that, no, that that is that is purely George's honour. That is because she's fought so hard for her father. Sure. It's been unbelievable. And did you know? So yeah, she's she's no. 
she's another one of those ladies that don't follow me on Twitter, but don't follow me for a reason. But I have a, I, I have her email address and her phone number. <laughs> well, it is good. And I, I do hope that it gets pushed, you know, we're <clears throat> recording this. I'm not sure exactly when we'll release it. We're recording this in the midst of the coronavirus and everyone's kind of isolating yeah. and, and everything. Um, so yes, WrestleMania has been affected. The hall of fame is probably going to happen later. I hope it does get bookended with SummerSlam, and they don't try to just have it some random day in June. That's if, right. If we're allowed yeah. out of the house in June. Um, yeah, that's it. That's the thing. But yeah, that would be great. I would love to, you know, to be able to have you there because th- these stories, again, are ridiculous. The idea, I don't care that it was 10 people. You're sitting there with the British Bulldog hours after he won the IC title. You know, the Undertaker's there. I'm assuming the family is there. That's that's just... Yeah. That's fantastic. Well... Yeah. You know, again, I think we could do this for many more hours, and I hope to. Now that you've got things set up, I know we had, you know... We'll get your mixer sorted out there, Glenn, because... Oh, yes. You know, yeah, I think I we're... I need to. I think we're just <laughs> scratching the surface of the stories mm-hmm. that Armbar Arm Abbott has to tell. I didn't even get to ask, you know, uh, what the wackiest story was. The Ultimate no. Warrior wants to know why can't woodchucks chuck wood. We'll have to cover that in, in a future <laughs> episode. Um, this is Glenn Abbott at G.A. Russell Nutt. If you are not following Glenn, I don't know what is wrong with you because Glenn is, I, you know... I don't know how many of my tweets you have liked, but I think it's at least 80%. Because, it so, must be. It must be. <laughs> it is. And, and I love it. I love it to death. You will never find a more uh, loyal and caring person than this guy. If you've been listening to DDT Wrestling the last few months, you know the, the kind of trials and tribulations that Glenn has been going through. Uh, and, you know, he was still able to make time to join us today. So, Glenn, I can't thank you enough. That's brilliant. Coming next, the progress years. <laughs> All right. There we go. Look at him. You're a professional. You just teased it perfectly. Oh, I can't wait. I'm going to I'm gonna subscribe to your podcast. You don't even have it yet, but I'm the first one. <laughs> uh, yeah, he is okay. he is Glenn at GA Russell Nut. Give him a follow. Uh, hassle him, besties, into into you know making sure that we do this regularly. Yeah, because you know you were talking about you just dro- name dropped Marty Skrull the other day, and he was like, "Well, I was talking to Marty about it," and I was like, "Huh? Okay, apparently he knows these people." <laughs> so we'll get to that mm-hmm. in the next episode. Um, I'm DC Matthews at the DC Matthews. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Question Marks. We'll see you next time.